Well, here we go. Kyler Murray, he's finally answered the question, baseball or football? Murray's decision is what we've been expecting for months now, football. In a tweet Monday, Murray stated, quote, moving forward, I am firmly and fully committing my life and time to becoming an NFL quarterback, end quote. This is obviously great news to anybody who loves football. It would have been a damn shame if we only got one full season of Kyler Murray playing quarterback. The NFL draft is two and a half months away, and the first quarterback selected should be Kyler Murray. In my opinion, he's easily the best quarterback in this class, with Dwayne Haskins a notch below. After those two guys, there's a big drop-off. Over the next two and a half months, we're going to be banged over the head incessantly with the is Kyler Murray too short debate. It's going to be nauseating, and even worse than a year ago because Kyler is a couple inches shorter than Baker Mayfield. But here's why these debates are going to be even more ridiculous than they were last time when pundits were unsure about Baker Mayfield's height. Kyler Murray is probably an inch, maybe two at the most, shorter than Russell Wilson. Yet, Kyler Murray is an even better athlete than Russell Wilson, and Wilson's obviously one of the most athletic quarterbacks in the NFL, certainly the most athletic elite-level quarterback. In addition to being more athletic than Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray is just as good, if not better, of a passer than Wilson was coming out of Wisconsin. Arm strength, ball placement, pocket awareness, escapability, calm under pressure, all the attributes Russell Wilson had coming out of college, Kyler has as well. Murray's height doesn't matter. What matters is Murray's understanding of what the defense is trying to do to him and Murray's ability to put the ball in the correct spot. That's it. If Kyler Murray somehow struggles in the NFL, it's not going to be because he's too short. It's going to be because he's not seeing things correctly. He's not trusting his instincts and what he's seen on film. It's not going to be because all of his passes are being batted down at the line of scrimmage. For all of you NFL scouts out there, and for all of you hot take hot shots out there, let me give you one piece of advice. The one major concern or criticism you should have about Kyler Murray is his lack of experience. He's only got one full season of starts under his belt. Baker Mayfield had three full seasons plus some starts at Texas Tech to his name before the Browns took him number one in 2018. Kyler Murray, he just needs some more snaps. Obviously, Murray's success in the NFL will heavily depend on which team takes him. And it would seem that you can count the New York Giants out of the mix. That's right. The G-Men are the first team I've seen who's reportedly not interested in Murray because of his height. Ralph Facciano of SNY reports a team source told him Murray is, quote, probably a little too small for the Giants. Congratulations to the Giants scouting department for having absolutely zero clue on what a good quarterback looks like. I wouldn't expect anything less from a franchise who's drafted Kyle Laletta, Davis Webb, Ryan Nassiv, Rhett Bomar, and Andre Woodson in the years since Eli Manning has been the starter. New York passed on Sam Darnold in 2018, and if Murray's available at number six in late April, it sounds like the Giants will pass yet again. Dwayne Haskins wouldn't be a bad pick at number six. At least I'd understand the selection because Haskins is a really good player. But if not him, well, good luck with Drew Locke or Daniel Jones. They each completed less than 60% of their passes in college, and neither of them won very many games. But hey, 
At least they're both really tall. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Good pitch in the backfield to Marco Murray on the Oklahoma bench. Finch breaking through tackles. The explosion from the true freshman from Florida for an Oklahoma touchdown. 29-yard touchdown run. First touchdown of his his Sooner career. Roy Finch welcomes us into this edition of West of Everest. His first career rushing touchdown helped the Sooners blow out Texas Tech 45 to 7 back on November 13, 2010. What's up, everybody? Once again, I'm Lee Benson. Grant will join me in a moment to talk about everything that's happened in the past week. A quiet, traditional signing day for the Sooners last Wednesday, but overall, OU brings in its best recruiting class in years. We'll talk about that. A defensive player is planning to transfer. Plus, as I mentioned in the open, Kyler Murray has made his decision. Oh, and Bob Stoops is back. He's going to the XFL. I was in Dallas last Thursday when he was introduced, so we'll get into big game Bob's return to coaching later in the show. And of course, we continue our series looking at which Oklahoma defensive players will benefit the most from Alex Grinch and the coaching changes. Today should be fun because we'll be talking about the secondary, a glaring weakness for the Sooners the past couple of years. It's a packed show for you all this week. So without further ado, let's bring in Grant for the first time. And uh, Grant, here's my first question for you. What's the story on Roy Finch? Because I don't remember a whole lot about that guy, to be honest with you. Just absolutely shameful. Come on, Lee. Come on. What? I... No, but seriously. Uh, he was, I think he would have been 2010 to 2013. I remember his last game ever was the Sugar Bowl win over Alabama. He had a he had like a 20-yard catch from Trevor Knight in the fourth quarter of that game, sort of in like the deciding drive. That was a big deal. Other than that, Lee, I think the story on Roy Finch was basically uh, pretty overwhelming physical skills. Uh, physical, definitely a small guy. Um, but a really explosive guy. And I think a lot of fans were really confused as to why he didn't get more touches in his four years at OU. And it leads me to believe it had to have been just some ancillary issues, maybe some playbook issues, some blocking issues, and just picking up the offense and whatnot. Because Lee Roy Finch was a pretty, pretty explosive guy when he had the ball in his hands. Uh, in terms of physical traits, is pretty much the spitting image of TJ Pleasure, the, the guy on the roster right now. So there you go. That's Roy Finch. It seems like his sophomore season was the most impactful he was for OU. And after that, his last two years, he he must have been like a change of pace kind of guy. I, you know, I'd, well, they had Damian Williams. They brought Damian Williams okay, in. Yeah. And then before that, and then once Damian Williams got kicked off the team, Brennan Clay had kind of come into his own uh, that season. So, uh, yeah, he was he was always used as kind of a change of pace guy, even though I thought when the ball was in his hands, he was probably the most dangerous guy they had on the roster. But that was mostly just kind of in, you know, in open space as well. Uh, he's not a guy that I would give the ball to, you know, between the tackles 10 or 15 times a game. All right. Well, let's talk some signing day. And real quick, if I sound different to you all out there that listen to the show or I'm talking a little more soft, it's yeah, you're not crazy. I, I'm playing a little injured today. I'm going through my yearly kind of I, I usually have like a sore throat once a year that lasts about a week or so and I'm trying to fight through it. So I'm I'm trying to do my best. So if this podcast is a little shorter because of my inability to speak, that's that's why. So just a heads up right there. I know Grant's dealt with some stuff before too, so uh we will not miss a podcast though. It's too important. 
All right, so back to signing day. Oklahoma adds one additional player to its 2019 class last Wednesday in four-star athlete David Obwehu. Lincoln Riley says that the 6'5", 225-pound Obwehu, got to get used to saying that name, he'll play outside. Ugwegbu. Ugwegbu. Yeah, you got it that time. Hold on, I got the I got the, the the thing up here real quick. Oh, I thought I did. I did have it up, and and uh, Mike Houck generously had a pronouncer in the press release. But uh, I think it's Agwebu. Agwebu. Yep, that's perfect. All right, <laughs> uh, Lincoln Riley says he'll play outside linebacker to start things off. So there's that. Uh, his addition brings Oklahoma's class to 24 players, four five star guys, 12 four star guys, and eight three-star players now grant this is the sooners first top five recruiting class since 2005 but it's their third straight top 10 recruiting class so that's good now i know that last week you kind of thought oklahoma would sign some more players than ugwebu so what are your thoughts on how everything went down last week well sure it looked like the kind of the biggest surprise on on second signing day last week was danielson ek chose to sign with SMU instead of OU, which came as a surprise to pretty much uh, everybody kind of on the OU side. So uh, that was a surprise to everyone. And then the other one is Brandon Pierce, who is the Juco guy who didn't end up signing last week. Um, reading between the lines, I think that's I think he's still expected to be to be a Sooner. Um, if you come from the Juco ranks, your, your signing day kind of lasts over the course of like, I think, three weeks or something like that. So um, don't be surprised if the Sooners get another commit for the 2019 class here in the next two or three weeks from Brandon Pierce. Um, but other than that, Lee, it looks like they're totally done. Another another top 10 class and their first top five class under Lincoln Riley and hopefully a lot more to come because that's how they're going to win national championships. Exactly. And I don't remember the exact stats of the last 20 years or something like that or 25 years with national champions and it's something on the lines of the last you know 20 or something like that national champions have had a top 10 class in the last you know previous couple years except for OU back in 2000 something you know I'm talking about yep yep and so you're talking about the yeah there's two so the kind of the more the one that's used more often now is is the blue chip ratio because that one is a little more predictive, and uh, with all of the recruiting kind of um, all the recruiting companies now, there's you know their rankings differ a lot, so it's hard to just kind of go by you know rivals or twenty four seven or whatever. But yeah, a lot of people use the blue chip ratio now, which um, essentially means um, I think, and it's 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 kind of has defied this, but I think it is um, every champion since two thousand OU has had at least 60% of their roster be blue chip players, which is four stars or better. And Lee OU is is past that blue chip ratio now. So they are square they are squarely into that. And they were last year also, for that matter. They were not in 2017 with Baker Mayfield. So they are now and and will be presumably for the for the foreseeable future. And just for the record, in case you're not that into recruiting and Again, we sound like a broken record, but we talk about it a lot on this podcast. We're not a recruiting podcast. I know Grant's into it a little more than I am, but uh, the rankings, OU number five in the Rivals final rankings. Texas actually number four in the uh, the final Rivals rankings. Number one, Georgia. Two, Alabama. Three, LSU. So that's the top five class. Texas a six. Go I ahead. Do want, I do want to bring this up, though, because I think this is relevant. If you actually just go by 
by uh, by average like rating of the players that they signed, OU finished with the number two class behind Alabama. So OU has the second highest uh, star rating per rivals in this class. Hmm. So that's great. That's a great class. Uh, you know, the best one in years, best one in in fourteen seasons, which is incredible for Oklahoma. Grant, is there uh, you know who were the who were some players in the class that you're intrigued to see some guys that you know you'll be paying a little extra attention to when you know maybe spring ball comes around or obviously when fall camp rolls around i mean who are the guys that uh, you're going to be kind of paying attention to more than others sure of course you know the, the headliners of the class are the ones that everyone knows about weiss hazelwood bridges and of course spencer rattler um other guys that i'm interested in I, i'm interested in the guys who are you know who are potentially going to be really important going forward perhaps maybe this season so that is someone like Jamal Morris, who is a who is a safety that's coming in. He's a guy who has kind of the rangy size that I really like to see in a safety. He's 6'2", 185. He's an early enrollee as well, so he's kind of getting a head start. Um, it would be nice if, if some of the other guys in the secondary were, were coming in as well early. He is the only defensive back. Another guy who would have been really nice to come in early is Jeremiah Cradell from, from Santa, Alica- or Santa Ana, California. He went to Matter Day High School. Um, those are the two big defensive guys that I think uh, could maybe make an impact this season. In terms of a guy who I'm just intrigued on about maybe his potential is a guy that not a lot of people have talked about, and that's Joseph Wete. He's a 6'4", 220-pound defensive end. He's from the D.C. area, and he looks like a guy who is just kind of a rangy, wiry, athletic freak who is raw. And I like guys like that, especially on the defensive line, getting after the the um, getting after the quarterback. So Joseph Wete is a guy who I'm going to be watching quite a bit. Um, but other than that, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, I think for everyone else, I, I I'm the same as everyone else. I just really want to see those receivers, and and I think everyone agrees with that because those guys, uh, if you just go and look at their their high school tape, I mean those <laughs> those guys are are the elite of the elite. Those are some legitimate. Um, difference makers coming in right away i mean guys who are you know three years down the line are going to be legitimate first round nfl draft pick uh guys yeah i share your sentiments with all the the main uh, five-star players uh, the three receivers bridges weiss and hazelwood Uh, obviously spencer rattler we're gonna gonna wait on him it's gonna be the jalen hurts show for for a year you know the offensive guys sure uh you know austin stogner at tight end big big tall guy you know who's how is he going to do that's kind of interesting but I mean this with Oklahoma I'm always more interested in the defensive guys because Lincoln Riley I mean he could it's important to have those five-star offensive players no doubt about it we saw how important that is in the national title game where Clemson was just using their five-star elite quarterback and he was making great throws and just putting up the putting the ball up for his five-star receivers to go make plays and that was a big part of the reason why that Clemson was able to score some points. And obviously the defense is good too. But point being is Lincoln Riley's can turn lower level type players offensively into good players. It's it's good to have the, the, the highly ranked guys too. But defensively, I want to know more about these guys. And I share your sentiments about Jamal Morris and Cradell, the two defensive backs, just because of their size. And, and these will be guys that are coming into Oklahoma's program and they will not know what it's like to have the previous coaching staff, and by previous I mean mainly Kerry Cooks. It, it, they'll, they'll, they'll be coming in brand new with Alex Grinch and Roy Manning, and so I'm curious to see how they progress. And and I, I it's just 
We're going to talk about defensive backs later in the show, but defensive backs are just so interesting to me. You know, Woody Washington, also a, a four-star defensive back coming from Murfreesboro, Tennessee, another guy. Marcus Hicks on the defensive line out of Wichita is a guy that I've heard a lot about. I've heard he's a big dude. I think he's a wrestler. I'm not the biggest uh, believer in Wichita high school football. I don't, I don't think it's that great, to be honest with you. So I, I will pause a little bit. I'm not so sure. You know, who knows? Amani Bledsoe um, and you know. uh, Blake Bell, kind of the yeah. Yeah, Bledsoe's out of Lawrence. I'm trying yeah. to think. There, no, Bill, Bill, I thought Bledsoe was out of Lawrence. I thought he was. Is he Lawrence? He might well, be. Not. I don't know. I just, I kind of always just assume if it's Kansas high school football, it's probably the Wichita area. Whether or not that's. Yeah, I think Bledsoe might have been. Yeah, from whether Lawrence, or not that's. Because yeah. I remember whenever they played Kansas, he was always kind of like, oh, you're, gonna, you're going home. I think Frank um, Alexander was so, from Kansas back in the day. I, nice. I think. Yeah, Amani Bledsoe went to, was, is from Lawrence. So. But anyway, so, I mean, you know, my apologies to any of you that are in Wichita. I, I, maybe I'm wrong. I, I guess I'm not an expert in high school football. It's just from what I've seen. And, I mean, I played I played baseball in college with some guys that I know, and I saw some of their tape because, you know, when you're in college and people played football, they'd show me some of their tape, and eh, it wasn't that impressive. But I'll be honest, it's not like Minnesota high school football is not the greatest thing either. And that's it's straight up bad. So, Don't even mince words here. Minnesota high school football is terrible. Well, it, it's not. It's not terrible, uh, you know. They get a lot of. There's only one Division One school in the state, so Lee, the a, yeah. a lot of players go to like NDSU, and they, you know, those, those players end up being pretty good. But that's the that's not the point we're let's, trying to make. Let's here. just say uh, the other let's guy, just say the the number one program in the state of Minnesota still is running the wing T offense. So just no, I don't <laughs> I don't have a lot of respect for that. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Aside from. Uh, from Hicks, the one other guy in offense I'm curious about is Marcus Major, the running back, and mainly because of uh, the, all the praise he got from a buddy J.D. Runnels, a former Oklahoma fullback, and you know he famously compared Major to Adrian Peterson. And while I don't necessarily share J.D.'s opinions on that, uh, from what I've seen, uh, you know he knows a lot more about the game than I do. So you know what, what you know. I guess that's interesting. So we'll see how Marcus Major does. It's you know r- running back has been a position that Oklahoma has been nailing recently, and so he's he's a six foot guy, almost two hundred pounds. He's fast. He's strong. At a Millwood High School, he's won a lot of games in high school. So I'm curious to see how Marcus Major does and, transferring to. And, and Oklahoma. talking about running backs as well, Lee, I'd, I'd be remiss if I actually didn't bring this up as well because it was in the back of my mind today. Um, and so I want to bring this up because Josh McQuistian has also brought this up to uh, over at Sooner Scoop. But one of the more underrated pieces of this class, I think, is the junior college running back, Ramondre Stevenson. I don't know how you watch his tape and it and you don't and your mind doesn't instantly just snap and say stud. It just go, I mean, I, I think he is going to be a huge factor on this team this upcoming season. The guy is six feet, 235 pounds. He's huge. Um, and he's got he's got burst. Right. He's got speed. I mean, this this is a guy who I, I I think potentially could end up taking a lot of carries away from both Brooks, uh, Brooks and Sermon. This guy he looks really good. Okay, interesting. Last JUCO guy running back I believe was Marcellus Sutton. They got and you know he unfortunately got injured last season. Didn't didn't finish the year. But uh, yeah, that I'll have to watch that guy's tape. Let's see. Uh, I've already kind of talked about. I was going to ask you kind of, kind of about the top ten classes. Um, 
I mean, basically, you know, Oklahoma's trending up, right, Grant? I mean, it, you know, three years ago, the recruiting I was going through, I mean, it wasn't great. I mean, they were finishing in the teens. It was kind of stagnant, maybe even kind of going down, but it's nice to see Oklahoma's – it's trending up, and we've kind of been feeling that way. So it's 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 a positive yeah. that the – the recruiting classes have gotten Absolutely. better and better. Yeah, the, the recruiting in the last three cycles has completely taken off. Um, just kind of about my general thoughts about the rest of the country. Um, Alabama, of course, won the recruiting title again. I think that legitimately makes it like 12 of the last 13 years. Um, it, or, or it's like 10 of the last 11 or 11 of the last 12. It's one of those. I can't really remember. Um, but, Lee, a lot of people out there saying that Alabama may, um, you know, just from on paper – may have signed the best recruiting class in college football history this year. And so, um, and, you know, of course, that's something that we'll be able to, you know, definitively talk about after three or four years once people actually go through the program. But, I mean, coming off of that game against Clemson where they were blown out, and I think people, I think people instinctively and naturally are immediately start to think, oh, maybe this is sort of the end of Alabama, and yet they they you know turn around and sign what people are calling the best recruiting class ever. Lee, they had they they signed three five stars, twenty three four star players, and one three star player. And that one three star player was the number one kicker in the United States. Oh, Alabama getting that kicker. <laughs> so they need it. I, yeah. So so people who have already kind of written off the Alabama dynasty as something that that Clemson has ended. Uh, just, just don't do it quite yet. I am, I'm already, it's, it's February 12th right now. Uh, when you're listening to it, it's February 13th. I can already, I can guarantee you, I'm coming out right now and saying it. I will be picking Alabama to win the 2019 <laughs> national championship. So I'm just, I'm so just, I. just preemptively saying it right now for everybody. Yeah. And that'll make it a three in a row in our season preview podcast of both of us picking Bama because it'll be the same. Man, it'll be the same thing we've said the last two years. If you don't pick anybody, if you pick anybody other than the Bama, you're just trying too hard. Well, actually, yeah. well, because this, this year, year yeah, this year you're actually getting value. You're actually that, getting value and, this year because they're not, they're not as of right now, they're not even the Vegas favorites. Yeah, Clemson's. you know what? Yeah, I, I take so. back what I just said a second ago. I suppose this year, if you take Clemson, it makes sense because with Trevor Lawrence and everything. Like, okay, so yeah, it's defensible. Yeah, yeah. it's defensible for sure. All right, more uh, Oklahoma news. Defensive end Ron Tatum is in the process of entering the transfer portal, that according to multiple reports. And I saw on Tatum's Twitter page that he's also retweeted a bunch of those reports, which uh, would assume that gives some validity to the reports. Tatum, of course, part of the 2018 recruiting class for Oklahoma, a four-star player out of Putnam City High School, a a defensive end. Didn't play at all in 2018, so a redshirt year for Tatum. Uh, Then he'll transfer and have three years of eligibility left. At this point, we can only speculate the reasons for Tatum wanting out, my guess would be that he just doesn't fit or doesn't feel like he's fitting into the new defensive system. Don't have a whole lot of thoughts on it because I don't know a whole lot about it, but Grant, curious if you have any thoughts on the Ron Tatum news. Um, I think just just overall, the the first thought I have of it is it just it sucks to, to lose another highly regarded and, and talented defensive lineman. Um, that's coming off of the the rumor that potential Michael Thompson is is moving over to the offensive line. Um, so yeah, I, my first thought is it, it it definitely sucks that it looks like the the two best defensive linemen that you signed in your 2018 class are are never going to play defensive line for Oklahoma. Um, when you sort of frame it with that, this is not really a huge positive. But at the same time, I share your your feelings that. 
this probably is some sort of sign that maybe he does not fit in the in the Alex Grinch defense. Um, but also another question that we can't definitively answer until we see the Alex Grinch defense sure. and, and how other players fit into it because there's guys you know who are coming in Lee in this particular recruiting class who are who are very similar who are the same size as mm-hmm. Ron Tatum. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, it, there, there could be a lot of things going in. I, it's all speculation yeah. at this point, but um, just you know, it's he's a guy who's six five two seventy coming out of high school, and that's it's a guy who who seemingly seems you know physically ready to play college football and. Uh, you know, this is the the talent level on the defensive line is is just by far the biggest gap between Oklahoma and Alabama and Clemson and Georgia. It's it's such a massive gap still at this point, and this uh, this news just doesn't really help that at all. So, um, if they're going to win national titles, they they just they got to get better players on their defensive line, and they got to they got to keep them and develop yeah, I, them. I'm with you, man. Uh, and I'm watching back some tape today of that. USC Washington State game from 17 which seems like kind of the game that people go back to watch and look looking at Alex Grinch's defense because it was against Sam Darnold and that's interesting the defensive line looked pretty darn good but I it it's a very small defensive line and you know I I just I don't know how that's going to match up if that's kind of the the idea is kind of getting more small and speedy guys that that could work great in the big 12 in theory but yeah, it, I'm certainly concerned about that potentially working against those three teams you mentioned, the Georgias, the Bamas, the Clemsons of the world, if you get to that scenario in the playoff. So something to watch out for. I think that's why it's really that's why it's really important to develop a defensive identity. Like, you know, develop something on the defensive side of the ball of what you're trying to do that you can always lean back on when you're going against the Alabamas and Clemsons of the world. Um we, we like to talk about, you know, taking the fight to the offense, and you can still do that when you go up against the Alabamas and Clemsons, even if you don't have a ton of size up front. As long as you're running a system that you're comfortable with, that you know that you can be successful in, um, and one that you know that you can be aggressive in, um, you know, then that's where you're going to have success. And But, yeah, I mean, it's th- this has been – them recruiting defensive linemen over the last decade has, has generally just been really difficult. Um, one, because there's just not a whole lot of them in, in the region that they're recruiting. And I think a lot of it has to do with they just really haven't put any of those any guys like that in the league with any regularity, and they haven't shown any sort of propensity to develop them. And other schools have. And the sort of the uncomfortable truth in college in college football is that everyone needs those stud defensive linemen, and everybody is looking for them. So, um, and typically they're going to go to the best schools, the Alabamas, the LSU's, the SEC schools, basically. So. Um, it, it's all about whether or not Lincoln Riley and his staff they can come up with some sort of coherent recruiting strategy to get those guys in there, um, and like I said, keep them and develop them because that's clearly not what happened with Ron Tatum. Next up, we're going to talk about the Oklahoma secondary. Which players do we think will benefit the most from Alex Grinch's new system? We'll break it all down. Then after that, we'll talk Kyler Murray and we'll talk a little bit of Bob Stoops. But first, a quick reminder that if you're enjoying the podcast, feel free to like our West of Everest Facebook page. The Facebook page is a great way for you to get in contact with us and or follow show updates. You can also follow Grant and I on Twitter. I am at Lee Benson News 9. Grant is at Grant Benson 25. If you've got a moment or two, feel free to lift up your podcast player, whatever you're using, and leave us a rating and or a review in iTunes. If you've listened to the this far into the show, it probably means that you enjoy the content that we're giving you. So help us out by leaving us a five-star rating if you are so inclined. All right, so last week we talked linebackers. The week before we went over the defensive line. 
Now to the secondary players, and this is a discussion that I've been waiting for because the Oklahoma corners and the Oklahoma safeties have been so poor the last two seasons. If you trust the recruiting outlets, and you know why wouldn't you? Kerry Cooks, he's been getting a lot of four-star players in the back end, and he even got one five-star player in Buki last year. So there's a lot of experience and a lot of talent in that Oklahoma secondary. But OU legitimately had the worst pass defense in college football in 2018, ranked dead last, 294 yards allowed per game. So are the players just bad? Is the scheme and the philosophy, is that what's bad? Has the coaching been bad? You know, all of us have had our theories in these questions. But now that there's been changes, I think that we're going to find out the true answers to all of those questions in 2019. So here's how we're going to start. Grant, is there an obvious player that you think will benefit the most from Alex Grinch and Roy Manning coming into this program? I mean, I think we're all we're all excited to, to see if they're going to move Buki back to corner. I think that's what everyone wants to know. Um, just go watch the guy from high school. The guy's a corner. And I think that's, that's where he best serves Oklahoma. So let's see if, if that's what they do. I feel like they sort of, they, they kind of tried to outsmart themselves this past season by, by trying to move Buki everywhere. And I think they probably put a little too much on his plate for his first year in college. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the obvious one in my mind, Lee, because same, um, he was, yeah, yeah. He, he was the guy who was so obviously playing out of position in 2018. So I, I think that's your, that's your first pretty quick, easy fix for Alex Grinch. But we'll see. I, 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 have a, I have no inside knowledge. This is just sort of a feeling. I have a feeling that they're not going to move him to corner. See, Buki's my obvious player as well, and I figured that would be yours uh, also. You know, He was plugged in at nickelback and also a little strong safety, depending on Oklahoma's personnel in 2018. He just, he just never got comfortable, and he never looked like he was a five-star player. And I'm not a recruiting expert, but Buki was one of the few guys that I actually watched some of their high school tape. You mentioned the tape a moment ago. And, yeah, like, I mean, he looked like a dominant cornerback playing at a really good high school at IMG Academy. And what I liked the most about him on tape was just his ability to cover. And that's the most important attribute for a cornerback, especially in the past happy Big 12. It just it looked like he had natural skills. He had natural instincts to me in, in his high school tape. And that just didn't translate at all to the field in 2018 playing mostly – the nickelback position. So I'm interested to see if Parnell Motley, Trey Brown, and Trey Norwood all lock down the cornerback spots once again, or if that competition's opened up and a guy like Buki shows that he's best suited for corner. And you just said that you have a feeling that he's not going to be moved there. I mean, I based on... It's probably just me no, being no, cynical. I, no, I, I get what you're saying, though. I mean, based, based on what we saw last year, they never moved him and... You know, Alex Grinch coming in. I mean, who knows if he's going to go back and watch high school tape of all these guys. I, I don't know. Or if Roy Manning will. So maybe if they don't know a whole lot about him, maybe they don't they don't know he was a really good corner in high school too. So, I mean, that's we don't know any of this stuff, but he's certainly the number one guy, I think, that we think, okay, what's going to happen with Buki with these new coaches? Uh, yeah, I mean, this is not just – and, you know, Buki was having success against – you know, other big time wide receiver prospects as well. I mean, he he dominated at the U.S. Army All American game, um, dominated in other camp settings. This is a guy who who didn't just come out of nowhere and didn't earn his five star rating. This is a guy who had 
you know, who had demonstrable success at the high school level against the best competition in the country. So um, I, I just think, and, and all of us knowing how much they struggled at corner in 2017, we were all so excited about him coming in. And I, I think we were all just assuming that he was going to provide like a spark plug at, at, you know, one of those corner spots and at least lock it down a little bit. And that obviously is not what happened at all. So um, we'll see if he gets that opportunity to do that this year. And I, I, I assume he's going to have, you know, every opportunity to probably do that. Um, we'll see, though, if, you know, if Alex Grinch and his staff see it the same way. I, I, I really hope they, they don't try to get too cute with him and just, and just put him at his natural position. So let's just hit on each player that, that we feel like uh, could benefit quite a bit from this. I have a list of guys. Uh, I don't know if you do as well, but I'll, I'll uh, continue on and then I'll let you go after my next guy. And you're going to sense kind of a theme. Like I started with Buki because of the perceived talent he had coming into the program. You know, everything we heard about him in the preseason leading up to 2018, it seemed like everybody was saying all these great things about Buki and spring ball and also in fall camp, things like that. So, you know, for me, I'm mostly interested to see if Alex Grinch and Roy Manning can bring out the best and all of this supposed talent that Oklahoma has in the back end. So the obvious transition after Buki for me would be Trey Brown. What happens with him? He was a four-star player in the 2017 class, played a ton in 2018, probably should have played even more. I know a lot of people were clamoring for him to get more and more snaps. He was top. He was the team's best defensive back in 2018. He was tied for fifth on the team with 58 tackles. He had six tackles for loss. He had two sacks. He had a couple passes defended. You know, Is there a world where Buki and Trey Brown are the starting cornerbacks for Oklahoma in week one of 2019. I, maybe. You know, who knows? I mean, watching back, you know, Washington State film from 2017, it's very clear to me that you've got to be able to cover as a corner in this defense. You know, rocket science, right? You know, what a shot. Corner's got to be able to cover. Alex Grinch, he has his corners playing up near the line of scrimmage a lot more than Oklahoma has in the past that we've seen. When you're up tight like that, there's not a whole lot of margin for error. So you got to be good. You got to be technically sound. And if you've got good technique and good fundamentals, a cornerback, you can limit the kinds of throws that a quarterback can make. And the routes that can be ran, if you're technically sound, are pretty limited too, mainly fades and slants when you're playing that tight man type coverage, which you see a lot in that Alex Grinch defense from Washington State. And speaking of, uh, you know, Norwood and Motley, you know, I find it interesting. As we talk about corners, because you know Trey Brown kind of came in, mixed and matched with those guys this year. Motley and Norwood are both three-star players. They've been the main quarterback, cornerbacks the past couple of seasons. You know, a lot of experience for them, but you got Motley, who's been inconsistent, and you got Norwood, who is a pretty good guy, in my opinion, covering, but he struggles in run support. So I'm curious to see if these guys keep their jobs. At cornerback, and, and I know it's it's worth noting too. I, maybe you're going to bring it up, Grant, that Norwood did switch to safety for the Big Twelve title game and also for the Orange Bowl. So, you know, he's got the ability to move positions. That's pretty good. It'll probably give him a little bit of a leg up when the competition starts because coaches always like players who can play multiple positions. So that's good for Trey Norwood. So, but the main guy there though for me was Trey Brown. So I'll open up floor to you now for your uh, your next player after Buki or your next couple of players. Yeah, Trey Brownlee is actually the one guy I'm pretty comfortable at this point in time penciling in to one of the starting quarterbacks, cornerback spots. 
I think you can you can just go ahead and pencil him in right now. Um, he was I, I thought he was demonstrably the best defensive back on the team this past season. Um, he's just a really athletic, talented guy. I think he's going to take off under Alex Grinch. Yeah, everyone. Trey Brown's my guy. I said he was my guy at the beginning of last season, um, and and I think he definitely sh- I, I think he definitely showed flashes, and he's going to he, he's going to continue to show flashes this upcoming season. I'm excited to watch him next year. I, I think he is he is about as sure of a thing on this defense um, outside of Neville Gallimore uh, that we have so far at this point in time. I think after Brown, who's your next guy? That's that's intriguing you as far as what what they can do in the new system. Well, it's it's more of just it's more of me just being interested to see what's going to happen with him. And so obviously after that I I moved to Motley and Norwood and I I think it's fairly safe to assume Lamb and if if Norwood was playing safety the last two games of the year, I think they're probably going to give him a pretty long look there in the offseason. Um, because they know that he can play it. And I thought he he did a pretty darn good job playing safety for the most part, especially in pass coverage. Um, I thought he was the main reason why uh, Lil Jordan Humphrey in the Big 12 title game was was limited, because I thought Norwood did a pretty good job of, of, of shadowing him over the top. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's there's definitely a possibility that, that Motley and Norwood see time in the nickel this upcoming year, especially Motley. Um, he's a guy I would like to see in the nickel, actually. I, I think he would maybe thrive there if, if he's there full-time. Um, but really, Lee, what we have with, you know, especially the cornerbacks on the roster, we have a bunch of dudes who physically are pretty much exactly the same. They're kind of in the 5'10 to 6 feet range, all of them, all sort of in the 170 to 180 range. Um, I think it's just going to kind of come down to how well they all cover is really what it is. And so I think we can we can throw a bunch of guys into that mix. I, I think, you know, of course, we already talked about Trey Brown and Buki, but with Motley and Norwood, and of course there's Jordan Parker and Justin Broyles as well. Um, they were freshman last year, so people don't remember them. Miguel Edwards and Starlin Baldwin, those are guys who are still there, not to mention the guys who are coming in. So I think this is going to turn out to be very similar to what they have at at linebacker as well, which is they have a lot of bodies there and not a lot of, a lot of bodies, a lot of options, and not a lot of obvious solutions. So really more than anything, I'm just intrigued during spring to see where they sort of situate these guys at what position. Are they going to be multiple? Are they going to move around a lot? I expect to see some of that for sure at least. But um, I, I think we probably are going to see you know, a, a, a bit of a shuffle in the secondary. There's just so many bodies there. Nobody's really um, – no, nobody's graduating at all. I mean there, there's dudes who are still there that I feel like you know, I'm about to bring up a guy who I'm, I'm curious if you've even thought of at all but a guy who I think is probably going to play a fairly important role next year, and that's Chance Sylvie. I have thought about him. Everyone kind of forgot about Chance Sylvie. I have Sylvie. thought about him, yeah. and, and He he played in the yeah. Orange Bowl. So and let's table Sylvie for a second because I was going to bring him up later too, so that way we can kind of talk about, talk about him at the same time. I, my next player that I want to talk about is Robert Barnes, and I can't wait to see if he develops into a great safety and, you know, he played a lot of free safety for the Sooners in 18, finished seventh on the team, had 54 tackles. I just want to see where Grinch puts him because, I mean, Grinch is going to be in charge of the safeties. So he'll be looking at Barnes quite a bit. I think he could play any of the safety positions on the field, but I wonder, and you mentioned Motley for this position a second ago, I wonder if if Barnes is a is a guy for, for Nickelback. And at 62 207 he's big he's got the size to act as you know a hybrid defensive back a hybrid linebacker which the nickel in this defense must be from time to time and 
in 2018, he seemed to flash, Barnes did, coming up, reading runs, stopping the run, helping in run support from his free safety spot. So being able to tackle and cover well is is essential to playing the nickelback spot. And, you know, Parno Motley, he, he's he's uh he's not undersized. He's listed at six foot tall, but you know, his his tackling is okay, his coverage skills, he's just an inconsistent player. You know, maybe if he's a player that you give you know, one job to, and he maybe he'll strive, and, and there could be a, a great competition for the nickelback spot, which it probably will. I was reading this article on the Football Brainiacs website, and they've posted a few articles on Grinch's defensive identity, and they brought in a guest writer named Cody Alexander, and Alexander's a high school coach in Texas, and he's written a couple of books on defending modern offenses, and in his latest column, Alexander's latest column, he notes that the nickelback and the free safety – and by the way, Alexander calls it a field safety in Grinch's defense. He said those two positions, nickelback and free safety, must be interchangeable in this particular scheme. And I think Barnes is a player to watch for either one of those positions. So I'm hoping that he can be coached up and turn into a high level safety for the Sooners because he was a you know a fringe you know he's a four star guy, a five star player in one in one recruiting service. Played a lot last year. The injury bug didn't didn't get him. Maybe early in the year it did, but. He's got just that big frame, that big body, and I think he's got a lot of talent. So I'm curious to see how Robert Barnes progresses in this new defense. What do you think about Barnes? And I like Barnes because it, it definitely seemed like the lights sort of started to come on for him, you know, and especially in the second half of last season. I'll, I'll play a little devil's advocate for you. I, I'm not sure if Barnes can cover. Um, and so I, I don't, especially in the Big 12, I don't know if I want to put a guy who I'm not sure can cover at that nickelback spot. Because when you're when you're talking about in the Big Twelve that nickelback spot, you're talking about going against little slot receivers, not big tight ends. So that's you know that's what I'm concerned with. Um, and we'll see. I don't know. We we really haven't seen Robert Barnes kind of really cover one on one, which is something he would presumably be asked to do yeah, in the nickel he would. a lot. So he would you got to every position? I'm a little be able to cover one on one. So and, and unless he unless. He really gets better with his physicality, you know, at the line of scrimmage. That's something that I could really envision being an issue. Um, but I guess we'll see. Um, so, um, also, you you brought up the fact that in Grinch's defense, the the field safety and the nickelback are kind of interchangeable. That would also maybe point towards someone like Trey Norwood as well in that role, um, who who we know can can cover a little bit and also has played that safety role as well. And and I know he wasn't he wasn't playing the. The free safety. I know that that's Barnes' Barnes's position, but um, yeah, just no, bringing no, it no, up as a possibility because we really don't know. Because I mean, the nickelback in this defense. I was looking at the previous stats from Washington State. I mean, the nickelback they blitz, they get to the quarterback, they get sacks, they get tackles for loss, and we've seen you know Norwood's not the greatest tackler, but he blitz every once in a while in 2018 when he gets a little bit of a head start and he's not having to tackle a running back or a wide receiver in the open field. He's not too bad. He can bring down guys. He can make tackles for loss. So, yeah, I mean, and he's a good cover player. So, yeah, it's an interesting, intriguing player that that could see time at nickelback and maybe free safety as well. Yeah, there's a there's seven other guys and really six other guys because you brought up Chance Sylvie. But I was gonna say six other players that we really haven't mentioned yet. And you know, I'll I'll quickly touch on some of the guys that we've seen get playing time so far. You got Justin Broyles, four star player out of the 2017 class. Remember back, Grant, in the fall of 2018? I mean, he was like a star. There was a lot of rumors that he was looking great and could be a starter. 
And, you know, he flashed a bit in 2018, but he was mostly kind of an afterthought, and then he got injured against Kansas. Bro- yeah, Broyles was, I think Broyles started, like, the first handful of games of the season. He was their starting nickelback to start the year. No, or, no, no I think he was. Yeah. But, so, I mean, he, he kind of went in but, and out. No, Broyles, yeah. played, Broyles played a lot, yeah. So, I mean, he's a four-star player. He'll be a redshirt sophomore in 2019. I don't know where he's going to fit in. Maybe he'll be a nickelback position guy, too. Uh, you know, so we'll we'll see. Well, I, my guess is that they're going to look at him as a nickelback spot. Then, you know, this is where I'm going to bring up Chance Sylvie again. But you know, also, I'm going to put Sylvie and Jordan Parker kind of in the same discussion, Grant, because they're kind of older players. They were both in the 2016 class, and they're guys who have dealt with injuries recently. You know, Parker made a name for himself in 2016, but he missed basically the entire 2017 season with that knee injury. In 2018, he played a little bit, but wasn't much of a factor. And then, of course, you mentioned Sylvie. He missed most of 2018, all of 2018, with the exception of the Orange Bowl. And he had that Achilles injury, which are, I mean, Achilles injuries are tough. So, you know, have those guys been recruited over at this point? I mean, you got incoming guys in there. I don't know. I mean, or, you know, will they be able to flourish with a fresh start from the new coaching staff? Uh, we don't know that yet. I'll open the floor up to you if, if you want to talk about Sylvie and any of these other guys. I, I'm just I'm just kind of looking here, and I, I want to go back to just how many bodies they have in the secondary. I mean, there's, you know, you, you got to think at you know the most at one time would ever be on this on, on the same field is, is six defensive backs. Lee, they got they got ten guys on their roster right now who have started and played significant minutes in college football, vying for those you know six spots. That's ten guys. Not to mention they have four four star guys coming in as well. So I mean they they got options. That's that is not insignificant. Having that much experience in the back end is is a very valuable thing to have especially in the Big 12. And I think for us, I, I think we're all hoping that the combination of Alex Grinch and uh and Manning coming in as well as just these guys being in their being in the program for the third and fourth year as a lot of them are. I mean guys like Trey Brown is in the program for the third year. Parnell Motley, this is his fourth year in the program. Same with Jordan Parker. Um, I mean, that's that's very, very significant. And so a lot of the times I, there, there is a, a correlation in college football about experience on defense. The best defenses typically are the most experienced ones. So um, and this defense is certainly not lacking for experience, especially in the back end. Now, it hasn't been now when the guys have been out there, it hasn't been particularly successful or, or pretty at all. Uh, but it's still something. And we got we kind of got to take anything we can right now in February to hang our hats on and you have a a very experienced defensive roster that have struggled and they're they may not even know it yet but they're in desperate need of some guidance and uh some people that can shake things up so that could be a good thing because you have these players that know what it's like to play in these big games and have seen a lot of snaps in college football so like that part of it is not no big deal they got the experience now if you got you know the the theory is hopefully that these these coaches Grinch is a good safeties coach Roy Manning is a good cornerbacks coach and you have a coach for cornerbacks and you have a coach for safeties so you get the the hyper instruction you get you know one-on-one instruction the cornerbacks learning from Manning the safeties learning from Grinch you know hopefully they can be a lot better and more technically sound than they have been because it's just been it's, it's been bad I mean they they look lost a lot of the times covering in the big 12 and Watching Washington State cover USC receivers in that game, I mean, 
they look like they know what they're doing. They're confident. They're turning their head. They're finding the ball. They're sticking with their receivers. They're playing a lot of man coverage. And and Sam Darnold is having some trouble finding players open and hitting players in that game. And and uh, so, it like you said, I, I think it's good that you brought up how there's so many players. I mean, a couple, just a couple guys you haven't mentioned. I mean, the Laren Turner-Yell, limited snaps last year. I know he was injured for part of it. Patrick Fields played some of the Orange Bowl. I mean, he got some experience in the – College football playoff last year, three-star player. Played a majority yeah. of the Orange Bowl. He came in right after Barnes got hurt. And then a couple other guys that haven't really play, haven't played at all uh, that are four-star players from last year's classes, Miguel Edwards and Starlin Baldwin, who I believe Baldwin got injured last year. He was out. So I think he tore his ACL in, in the spring, I think. So he should be fully healthy back. And then, it, of course, you mentioned um, the guys coming in, too, that are four-star players. And so it, it's just there's so much talent back there, and it's just bizarre that – Oklahoma has been so bad in the back end whenever other teams in the Big 12 that don't recruit anything like Oklahoma seemingly have some defensive backs that can play and can cover and can can make it difficult on quarterbacks and aren't giving up the most yards per game in college football. And oh, by the way, Oklahoma's defense doesn't even have to face Oklahoma's offense. And and they're still that bad. So it, I, I guess I don't know where I was going with that, but uh, – that's kind of uh, that's kind of it. I mean, in, in the Washington State defense, those three years, I mean, strong safeties and free. I mean, all the D, the D backs they make tackles, they make tackles, they make plays. So, I, hopefully, this is going to be fun. Uh, yeah, I I think like you and I and the rest of the Oklahoma fan base were feeling pretty positive, but you brought it up last week too. You're not gonna you're not gonna get suckered in yet because you've been. You've been, uh, I guess, what's the proper way to put it? Uh, you know, you've kind of got excited, but then been let down too many times. So yeah, no, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and and say that yeah they're absolutely gonna turn it around. I'm I'm at the point now where I I will believe it when I see it. So they're gonna have to they're gonna have to put up or shut up this upcoming year because I'm I'm you know we're I, I'm I'm not gonna get overly excited this year. We're I'm gonna need to see some tangible improvement. Um, and I don't. Know, we'll see. Uh, let's let, let's hope that we kind of start seeing it go in the right direction in, when when the spring practice starts in in a month or so. Well, that about covers it for me. I'll let you add any final thoughts if you have any. I don't think so. I just I I want to reiterate again just how much how much experience this defense has coming back and how the history of college football says that that can potentially be a good thing. So we'll let's hope that that Alex Grinch can coach him up. Let's hope that they become a lot more comfortable in their scheme and a lot more comfortable in, in what they're doing on a play-by-play basis because if that happens, and I think we, we can see some real improvement on the defense this year, uh, hopefully some radical improvement, but um, not to put the, uh, the cart too, uh, too far ahead of the horse, but it, it should be fun to watch at least. At least there's some optimism. Well, you've now heard us talk based on the last three episodes about all three levels of the defense. Next week, Grant and I will give out our rankings for which players we believe will benefit the most from the defensive coaching changes. Now, I'm still not sure if we're going to do a top five or a top ten or some random number, top eight, or I, I don't know. I, it's kind of a fluid thing right now, kind of kind of flying by the seat of our pants. But either way, I think this will be something that you all can enjoy. And if you've got thoughts on which players you think will benefit the most – let us know on the West of Everest Facebook page, or you can tweet us, or you can email the show, westofeverest at gmail.com. 
Let's move on now. The rest of the show will be Kyla Murray and Bob Stoops related. So feel free to listen to that. Uh, Kyla Murray Grant, I mean, I gave my thoughts on him and the opening take. I'll open up the floor to you now to kind of chime in. What do you think about Kyler officially committing to football? Well, I mean, this is like, what do you want me to say about it? I mean, this is this for the last three weeks. I've been sitting here saying that anybody, anybody treating this like it's anything but him going to play football is an idiot. So, um, I feel like I've been I've I've talked about this quite a bit over the last month or so. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's the right choice. I, I think it's it's the obvious right choice. Um, if he was a if he was a middling NFL prospect, it wouldn't be the right choice. But he's very very clearly the best quarterback in the draft, so it's the right choice. I know hard hitting analysis, but sometimes it's no, just it's, it's true. Yeah, sometimes it's just it's just it's kind of there for you, kind of there for you on a tee. Just hit it. And although he was a first round draft pick in the Major League Baseball draft, and he's going to be a, what is it the first player ever to be a first round pick in the NFL? Because he's going to be a first round pick. Yeah. I mean, oh don't yeah. Give me this. Absolutely. And the question, honestly, the question is right now is like, will will the Cardinals either take him or deal that pick and somebody else take him? I know the day we're recording this on Tuesday, I guess Cliff Kingsbury or or somebody within the Cardinals organization said that Josh Rosen is their guy. So you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what that in means. Professional sports, he's your guy until he's not your guy. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the question: is will he go? Not only in the first round, will he go? And either number one overall, or will he be the first quarterback taken? I saw Darren Ravel had a chart, and I just saw this, and, and I don't know the exact numbers, but he did the math apparently, and it was you know ten years in the Major League Baseball compared to ten years in the NFL, deciding as how much money you'd make, and Ravel came up with the numbers of it takes him. You know, ten years in his first ten years in the major leagues, Kyler Murray would make something like sixty-seven million dollars, and he's basing this off of if Kyler Murray is a very good major league baseball player, and if Kyler Murray is a very good NFL player, and in the NFL, the first ten years in the NFL, Kyler would make something like two hundred million plus. So I mean, it's just there's just no doubt about it. There's more money in football because of the position he plays and his talent. Because he's one of the because he's the like, yeah I, I'm with you he's the best quarterback in this class and he he again I, I was gonna say this he was a first round draft pick in baseball but I'm not so sure that he is a player capable of becoming like an elite level major league baseball player where he's a perennial all star and he's getting those crazy Bryce Harper and Manny Machado contracts I just don't I don't think he's that kind of player I mean he's got he, he's got five tools so. Like that, though they those those don't grow on trees. I, the main thing with him is that he just he didn't he didn't really hit all that well in his one year playing at OU. I mean, he only hit like two sixty. Right, I'm gonna bring I'm and, gonna bring up his numbers here because I I also know that he got on base at like an absurdly high clip though. So, which is certainly which is which is a big deal. Yeah, it's just. Well, all those good major league players in college, don't they? I mean, if they're hitters, they usually hit pretty, pretty high averages. And he's got pretty good power. I think he had something like uh, he have seven to ten home runs, something like that. But uh, either way, this is the right call, and, and I'm happy that we're going to see Kyler Murray play football. He, so I'll let you bring up his baseball sure. stuff. Oh, yeah, you, you have he had 296. Got on base at a 400 clip, 556 slugging percentage, a 954 OPS. 
Uh, he hit 10 home runs, had 47 RBIs, 13 doubles. Uh, he uh, stole 28 bases. No, nope, only 10 bases. Walked 10 times. He he struck out quite uh, quite a bit of times, 56 times. But yeah, I, I mean, his the the A's weren't drafting him for his college stats. They're drafting him because because no, he's, he's a five tool guy. Yeah, and I. I shortchanged his app. Okay, so he almost hit 300. So that's that's definitely better than 260. Yeah, and when I uh, and just as a when, when I see a guy nearly hit 300 and have an on base percentage about 100 points higher, I mean that's he was he was an absurdly productive offensive player for OU baseball. It's a lot of strikeouts, though. Yeah, it's a lot of strikeouts, but they're in in Major League Baseball these days. People are starting to care less about strikeouts, which is a which is something that I just I, I just vociferously disagree with. Um, <laughs> I, I I still think striking out is is maybe the worst thing you can do in all of baseball. But <laughs> but yeah, I mean, obviously he's a, he's a very good baseball player. He's a top top ten draft pick or whatever it was. Yeah, ninth overall to the A's. It's just it's clear that football is more in his heart. He likes football more. He enjoys it more. And he, I, in my opinion, he's better at football than he is at baseball. He's very good at both. So uh, Grant, what is uh what is your main concern? And you kind of talked about this, I think, a couple weeks ago. But what's your main concern about Murray's transition to the NFL? His size, as it relates to being injured, that's that's about it. Um, I think, in, in terms of um, if if you remove that, if if he's a guy who takes care of his body, doesn't take you know huge hits and stuff like that, um, I suppose if you remove all of that, I would say the big the biggest thing he's he has right now is is just the mental makeup of the game um he probably doesn't go through his progressions as quickly he doesn't um he doesn't eliminate throws as quickly as someone like baker mayfield does um but at the same time i think it i think a lot of that can be explained away by just he just hasn't had a ton of snaps really he just needs more snaps and baker mayfield started i mean nearly 40 games in college so um, that's significant, and Kyler Murray hasn't done that. So I, I think once he gets more snaps, once he sees it more on film, that's that's an area of his game he's going to improve. Just because he's he's just so good, I, he's he's gonna get he's gonna get better. I think. Um, I, I think the biggest concern is he is a guy. I mean, he's he's not even five nine. He's a really small dude. Um, what happens if he just gets sandwiched by defensive linemen on accident? Um, could he get hurt? Sure. I think that's that's your biggest concern. But he's shown an aptitude for avoiding contact. I thought he was, I thought he was surprisingly uh, outstanding in 2018 at, at avoiding big hits. All right. Well, I share. I don't want to be redundant, but I mean, yeah, I think you put that very well. I, I I'm with you. I, I share the same thoughts about my concerns, uh, more so the on the field stuff than the size. But this, it's a fair, it's a fair point you bring up, and. The next thing I want to talk about is you know, Greg Cosell, a guy that we like a lot, his breakdowns, and he was a big Baker Mayfield guy, is a big Baker Mayfield guy. We talked about Cosell's quarterback scouting reports a year ago, and we kind of, you know, we liked his Baker Mayfield scouting report, but we kind of thought some of it was off here and there. Well, Cosell has done a Kyler Murray scouting report, and I tweeted it out, so if you haven't seen it yet, you can go to my Twitter and you can find it. And, and you and I have both read this scouting report, and and I think it's it's spot on. I think Cosell absolutely nailed it. Uh, I'm not going to go over the entire thing. I mean, the, he breaks down strengths, weaknesses, his transition to the NFL, and just other notes he has. The strengths are all the things that you would you would think. Uh, weaknesses, essentially, I'll just kind of read verbatim from the weaknesses because it's it's very very short. He says weaknesses. Quote: 
Kyler Murray lacks the desired height, weight, bolt profile for the position. Some will look at the conceptual foundations of the Oklahoma offense with its focus on misdirection and deception and define reads and question Murray's ability to progression read when needed. My sense watching the tape is Murray's reads and throws were predominantly defined before the snap. Some inconsistency with ball placement, but not scattershot. Murray will always leave some throws on the field due to his height and at times premature movement out of the pocket. Those are the weaknesses. That's it. And I think all of that is, is very fair. I think that's a very fair assessment of his weaknesses. And there's more details in the transition to it. I just want to skip to the, the very bottom of it, of uh, his transition to the NFL. He mentions that Kyler Murray is a better thrower and more dynamically athletic than Russell Wilson. What makes Murray a fascinating projection to the NFL is he's an excellent thrower. Now, this write-up came out today on Tuesday, February 12th, and I wrote my uh, opening take before I saw this. So I brought up the Russell Wilson thing before I even saw this. So I reading that Greg Cosell thinks even higher or you know, than Murray, he even he said, said that he's a better thrower than Russell Wilson. Now, I don't know if Cosell means – uh, like coming out of college or right now, probably coming out of college, I'm guessing. But uh, that's pretty high praise, Grant. And uh, what are your thoughts on on this write-up? Because I think, again, I think Cosell absolutely nailed it. Yeah, I read it right before we started recording, and, and I agree. I, I thought it was a very a very fair write-up. And one of the comments I made to you after reading it is I, I, I think, Lee, people are learning from the, the Baker Mayfield fiasco from last year. And I think he even throws some language in there to allude to that, where he says some will say that Oklahoma's offense with their misdirection and, and you know, predefined reads, um, stuff like that. He's basically, I, I, I think that's Cosell saying, yeah, there's going to be some people who are, who are maybe upset about that or, or uncomfortable with that. But that doesn't really matter. The guy's physical tools are off the freaking charts, which they are. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I just think, uh, I, I thought you had a really good tweet this morning too. You said something along the lines of if, 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 if Kyler Murray struggles in the NFL, it's not be, it's not going to be because of his height or anything like that. And, and I think that's just so, it's just so right on. And I, I think especially after the Baker Mayfield thing, people are finally kind of starting to see, Hey, yeah, saying, you know, just talking literally about his height doesn't really matter if he's, even if he's short, what if he has, you know, a cannon like of an NFL arm and he's a very accurate passer, then what Do, does his height completely, um, you know, completely negate those things? Of course not. So um, I, I think Cosell did a, did a good job there of just looking at his game and only his game. Um, and he just, and then, you know, at the beginning he alludes to his size, but yeah, I, I thought it was fair and I thought it was right on. And I think, you know, once we get closer to the NFL draft, it's going to be very clear that Kyler Murray is going to be a top 10 pick, maybe even the first pick. And one of the better arguments or takes that I, you know, people that are kind of more on our side and Baker Mayfield's side that I, that I like that I, I don't think about a lot, but it makes a lot of sense is when people criticize height or question height, a good comeback is, well, Kyler Murray's always been this height and he's doing what he's been doing. It's not like he's all of a sudden been five foot whatever I mean he's doing all the stuff it's like he's used to being that tall and he's been able to to play as well as he can and that's what Baker Mayfield would say too is like yeah I, I can't see over the offensive line I can't see everything but I just you just play and I'm just this is how I'm just used to it and so I mean it's it, I guess uh I was gonna put it in my opening take but I was trying to figure out a way to word it 
but see if you can help me with this or follow along. I mean, look at Daniel Jones and Drew Locke, you know, two players that that might be taken ahead of Kyler Murray just because they're tall. I mean, look at their college stats. They're not very good. I mean, they're not very good. And these guys are being thought of highly because of their stature and their size and their 6'4", 6'5". They're they're fitting into a prototypical type that people are used to with quarterbacks. Yeah, I agree. Of course, I I agree. And yet their numbers still weren't very good. I agree that is the only reason why that either of them are on the radar. Yes. But I I just, the the point I'm trying to make, though, is that these guys have apparently the right tool, the right size, but so why didn't they excel in college? You know, why didn't they dominate? Because they're not accurate I mean, it's yeah, exactly. Because they're not they're not as good as Kyler Murray. They're not they can't they can't do the main thing that you need to do as a quarterback to be successful, and that's deliver the football properly in the right timing, put it in the right spot. And Kyler Murray can do that better than they can. I am convinced and, that and and this is not. I mean, Drew Locke has been talked about as a first round draft pick for damn near three years now. So this is not anything new. Um, Drew Locke is. And he's, he's going to be a first-round yeah, yeah. draft pick, and, and that's fine. The only reason Drew Locke was ever considered a first-round draft pick is because he is over six feet, four inches tall, and he has a strong arm. That is the only reason why. I agree, and I will admit that in previous podcasts, I think leading up to the Orange Bowl, I had said that Drew Locke is a statue I did watch a couple of highlight tapes of him. Apparently, he's a little more athletic than I gave him credit for. He must have just looked like a statue against Alabama. He, he could not move against Alabama. But I think he does have a little bit more athleticism than I was giving him credit for. But still, he's in the NFL, he's not He's not going to be uh, any sort of like elusive burner. I just wanted to kind of randomly correct myself there for, for anybody that's out there that's trying that. That's a big Drew Locke fan. Uh, he can move around a little bit more than I thought. So yeah, that's that's all I have on Kyler Murray. We'll we'll have plenty more time to talk about him moving forward. But I, I'm very happy that he is officially decided to do football. And man, I I mean I know I he's not Baker Mayfield. We don't have the same kind of feeling for him. But man, it's just he's he's such a fun player to watch. And and I hope he gets drafted by the right team that knows how to utilize him properly. Because if so, he's going to be a really good NFL football yeah. player. If he um if and like you know I, I don't think it's likely. I think it's possible. But if he's drafted by you know Kingsbury and the Cardinals, that I mean that's that's appointment viewing in my mind every single week. So um, <laughs> yeah, very much like like Bake was this past year. So you're right. It, it, a lot of it has to do with if he goes to the right team or not. It, it seems like the team that he's mocked the most to is Jacksonville, um, yeah, which I actually that too. which is which you could definitely spin that as a negative. But I also think that could that has the potential to be fun as well. So, yeah. um, I mean, because I mean, what's Jacksonville got to lose? I mean, I could totally see Jacksonville. I'm, I I couldn't tell you who their offensive coordinator is right now, but you know, perhaps they would just scrap whatever their principles are and be, you know, what I'm just going to build my entire offense around what he did in college, or you know, I mean, why not? Plus, you'd I mean that's what you're going to have to do with Kyler Murray. Plus, you'd get the you know what I think a lot of OU fans would love to see, which is the Kyler Murray and D.D. Westbrook connection. I think that would be pretty fun to watch. Of course. Of course, I I most I want to see, and it, it'll never happen. But I I've actually I, I was playing Madden quite a bit this past uh, weekend for whatever reason. I just kind of had the itch to do it, and I put uh, I, I put D.D. Westbrook on a team with with Baker Mayfield, and I was just having flashbacks to 2016 and having just a a heck of a time doing <laughs> it. So, God, that'd be fun. Oh boy, you know, I'd be fun to watch um, Baker and D.D. on the same team again. Ugh. 
we'll have to save this for another time, but I just I just Googled it. So you know who the Jaguars offensive coordinator is now, Grant? I'm sure you're going to tell me. It's uh, somebody that I'm not too thrilled about. Uh, he's uh, he's he's one of those uh, you know those young up and comers that actually isn't that great of an offensive coordinator. John DeFilippo, who got fired by the Vikings. Oh, this is something that you should actually. That is, yes, if that is a very good uh, thing for Kyler Murray if he is there. I've said it numerous times. Actually, no, Flip was. I'm I'm thinking of Pat Shermer now. Yeah. Yeah, Pat Shermer was who got Case Keenum playing really yeah, well. Yeah, but and so exactly, and so I would DeFilippo though you could say is maybe the guy who unlocked a bit of Nick Foles. Um, uh, I don't think he. And also any uh, the, any sort of DeFilippo hate from the past year, and if you guys you know forget he was fired by the Vikings kind of in like week thirteen or fourteen of this past year. Um, I will you know counterpoint in that Kirk Cousins is not good. He is not not good. So. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I I agree. I I mean it's just but as an offensive court, I mean he's he's a he's not he's not bad though. He's he has the capabilities of being like an average quarterback and if you're a really good offensive coordinator, you can make Kirk Cousins look look better, I think. And I I guess, you know, maybe I I Filippo defenders will say that a lot of it was um oh jeez, um I'm blanking on the, the Vikings coach. Zimmer. Zimmer, yeah. A lot of the defenders say Zimmer was was too much, you know, too heavy handed and forced him to, you know, run the ball too much or something like that. Wasn't really able to to get his principles out there. And maybe that's true. Maybe he needed a fresh start in Jacksonville. I'm just so. saying D Filippo, the game the the game that got D Filippo fired was a Monday night game at Seattle late in the season where I think uh, before the last drive of the game, Cousins had thrown for like 35 yards or something oh, yeah. like that. Oh, no. uh, Cousins, oh, and, terrible, awful. And I, I just, I, I want to be put on the record about about this. That game was Kirk Cousins' fault. He missed a myriad of wide open receivers in that game that John Filippo presumably schemed open. So I, I just, I, I want right. to put that out there right now. Not that it matters on an yeah, OU no, football I- podcast, but... Right, yeah, I know. I you you will not find me defending Kirk Cousins. John DeFilippo. Like, yeah. like, so I guess I kind of did a second ago, but I'm like he got paid all this money. He's he's an average at best. Kyler Murray, if he goes to Jacksonville and John DeFilippo is their offensive coordinator, it is not the end of the world. Is basically what I'm trying to say. Okay. Finally, Bob Stoops out of nowhere last week was named the head coach slash GM of the new Dallas XFL franchise. The league begins in February of 2020, and I guess it's going to run up against that new AAF league, which debuted last weekend. And I think Bob Stoops obviously gives instant credibility to this new XFL. And uh, I saw a report that Pep Hamilton Grant, your, one of your favorite coaches, is uh, is also going to be a head coach in this XFL league. And so that makes me kind of curious to see what other coaches become XFL head coaches. So. Uh, I mentioned Pep Hamilton because I know Grant, you're a Colts fan, and Pep Hamilton used to be the coordinator for the Colts, offensive coordinator, and that was a whole thing. But uh, Grant, you excited about the XFL? Can I just be totally honest with everyone about this? Um, these these new leagues that are popping up, um, and I know the whatever the thing was last weekend that people were pretending to be excited about. Um, I have no interest. I have no interest in in either of these leagues whatsoever. Um, I'm happy for I'm happy for for Bob Stoops, obviously. I think this is probably a pretty good fit for him. He still gets to coach the NF. He still gets to coach football, and it's in a joke of a league. So, um, 
where he doesn't wow, have to. How dare yeah, you? Yeah, I just I, I don't show some respect. This stuff I just wow. I, I just don't care about these leagues whatsoever. I, I don't. And this is not a this is not a rip on anybody who watches them. More power to you. I know it's the off season and it's it's this can be tough. Go go consume and watch all the football you want. Um, there's not a whole lot you could do to make me care about these leagues. I think they're going to be dead pretty quickly. Wow. Uh, I think we're learning that you're not a true red-blooded American like I am because I always want more football because it's my favorite sport. The only possible way I would ever tune in to watch a full one of these games is if one of the teams had a bunch of Sooners on it. That's literally the only, only way I would ever tune in. Because mm. other than that, well, other than that, it's like I, I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm not going to watch a random minor league baseball game. I'm not going to go watch a random D league game in the NBA. That's what this is. So you're not you're not tuning in to see Trent Richardson tote the rock. No, Trent Richardson and... is single handedly the worst NFL player I've ever seen. I don't need to watch him again. <laughs> and also, all of these games, all of these games from this past weekend were played in front of like maybe two thousand people. So it's just oh, you don't know that. I mean, have you seen the have you seen the screenshots of the, the no. crowds that were like completely empty? No. So, but I don't know. I guess yeah, I just. I mean, a lot of people watched it, but it, uh, mainly because it was the first yeah. week and it was on it was on basic uh, it was on broadcast television. Let's, I mean, let's be fewer people will watch it this. Let's next week. be totally honest with ourselves. Nobody cares about these leagues, and no, that's not it, true. Because you know what people want to do right now? Because it's more in the mainstream. Gamble sports betting might keep these leagues relevant. I, uh, that, I think you're being, because people want to bet football. I think you're being very, very, I, I just, I, I can't imagine that. Once people actually sit down and watch these games and realize that it's nowhere near as good as the product that they're used to, uh, I think See, audiences are going to go away I have away a problem very, with you saying quickly. that. I, I think the only obvious difference is quarterback play, which I realize quarterback Really? You don't think there's any difference in wide receiver play or really just anybody on the defenses at all? Come on! I mean, not come like, it's, on. It's a, to the to the naked eye, you, you can't. I mean, these games are going to look like high level like college games that we watch every Saturday that we're fun, like interested in. I mean, a lot of the players. The cool thing about this is like you see players on rosters. Like, oh yeah. I Do you really guy, need me to go into another another explanation as to why we love college football? No, I'm just okay. I'm just saying using the the argument of like oh the. The play is not great. I think it's kind of a lazy argument because it's just easy. you're just you're just not used to seeing these uniforms and these teams because they're, they're no, brand this is, new. It's like I'm I'm sorry. Like we I I think okay. Even as fans, we we love our respected sports, right? Yeah. I for instance, for me, I love football and I love baseball. Those are those are by far my two favorite sports. I, I'm I'm only going to take time out of my day to watch those sports at the highest level. And if it's not the highest, highest level, there better be something else for me in it. With college football, there is. There's the passion. There's the atmospheres. There's the rivalries. That's why we love college football. That's why we tune in and why we watch. Once, like, the reason we watch these leagues is a, is a convergence of all those things, not to mention also about stars. And in the NFL and in professional leagues, we know all of the players. Um, I just, I, the AAF or whatever it is, or the XFL, will be no different after year one than the arena football league is. No one will care. Because nobody because nobody because nobody's gonna know the players. Um, even if they do know the players, they're gonna be like, 
Well, let's see here. Yeah, there's some decent players that I know here, but there's also only 1,500 people in the stands. Why is this game's clearly not important? So why am I going to watch it? It's. I think we need to we need to fact check these these attendance claims you're making. I bet there was more than 1,500 people. Now I don't know if there'll be more than 1,500 people moving forward because there's always going to be an interest for the first first time. And that's what happened with the XFL in 2001. The ratings were great in week one, but then after that, they were they were bad. So, you know, it's way too early to say it's going to be a success or a failure, but uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But I will say this, though. I was wrong about something last podcast, and I was, I was made aware of this by my coworker, Brett, who's a loyal West of Everest listener. He told me that, uh, that uh, you know, I said that there was not going to be any meaningful football for about seven months or so. Well, we got the AAF going on. And so there's going to be a championship game at some point, probably. That's pretty big time. No, and, just no. You know, who, I, I, I have to cut you off there because no. Who's to say that I'm not going to bet on some games that makes it interesting? I mean, why not? I mean, Trevor Knight's playing. He might get a chance to take some snaps. If you bet on AAF football, you are a fool. That's all I'm going to say. You're just a, a, a stone-cold fool. Why? What, maybe I just want to make some money. What do you, maybe what do you found, know about uh, the teams? Like, so you're just going to go... That's why you watch. That's why, I mean, right now it looks like defense is winning out. Just, not very good like, quarterback play. What this obviously is, it's one week after the football season ended. This country loves football. Everyone was like, oh, yay, football is on. I'm going to turn it on for the novelty of watching it. And I just, I, I can't imagine that the football was good enough and that people were entertained enough to be like, yeah, I'm going to take time out of my entire weekend next weekend to do the exact same thing. It's not going to happen. It's just all right. We'll and see. So, and like, I mean, it's, and yes, I, I, the ratings will go down because it's it's not going to be on CBS anymore. So the ratings will go down because it'll be on cable. And so I don't but, I don't uh, want to rip on anything I'm, that other that other I'm people like. Judgment, but I'm just I it 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 always causes great irritation for me when I see people just kind of pretending to like something like this. Obviously, is so. That's just that's my opinion. I mean, yeah. I mean, I I don't know. I, this could be a little different. I think there's a lot of big time name NFL people involved with it that lends it some credibility. That helps. Uh, you got Steve Spurrier coaching. You got some other you know ex NFL coaches. So I mean that helps. I mean the XFL didn't really have that from what I can recall, and uh, the original XFL. So I guess we'll not see. to mention but, the I mean, original quick, XFL was just silly and stupid, <laughs> and and very and, very likely the new XFL will be similarly stupid and silly. Hmm. I mean, it depends on who they get to coach. I mean, I, if they get other big-name guys and they can get certain players, I mean, it, it could be a thing. It, it helps that it, it's going on during non-NFL season. But just real quick on Bob Stoops, though. I mean, yeah, going to the NFL, you know, why not? Like, last Thursday, I kind of got the feeling from him when I was around there in Dallas that he's just kind of itching to get back around football. And, you know, more importantly, he's trying to kind of get back around a group of guys. I mean, he's – he was like that for his entire life, you know. I played football, coached football forever, and all of a sudden he just didn't have a big group of guys to go to. And I know he was still at Oklahoma, still getting a paycheck and stuff, and you go to practice here and there, but it just probably wasn't the same. I think the XFL is perfect for him because it's a part-time gig for the most part. It happens you know, during the regular football offseason, so he can still have time to go watch his kids play ball if he wants during the fall. Here's something I'm kind of curious about, and I don't know if we'll we'll know this or people will ask him about it, but I kind of wonder if this time off for Stoops, he's kind of maybe reevaluated his football principles a little bit. I wonder if he's kind of gotten into the film room, kind of learned some new things, maybe changed his mind about certain aspects of the game that he had before. 
who knows? You know, maybe he has, maybe he hasn't. You know, maybe this next year, now that he knows he's got a coaching job, maybe he'll he'll kind of brush up and maybe try to get back in and learn some new things. You know, who knows? He's got a year to do it. So I'm the, the, I'm just curious about the kind of stuff. And I mean, he's he's a legendary coach, he's a Hall of Fame coach, and now he's getting back into it. And he's got he's got a slick goatee to go along with the XFL. So I think it just works. Yeah, I love Bob Stoops. Anything else? I love Bob Stoops. I mean, that's um, I, I suppose it's it's possible that when the XFL finally kicks off, I would tune in to watch Bob Stoops' first game. That would that would maybe be a reason for me to tune in. Um, I just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a fad thing that's going to go away very quickly, and I, I think it's foolish to think otherwise. I just think that they have the knowledge of what didn't work with the original XFL, both of these leagues, the AAF and the, the returning XFL. So the fact that they failed once makes me feel like they're going to find ways to make sure this works this time. And think about this. I don't know doesn't if this matter matters what that they, much. Like, are they going to be able to get the best football players in the world to play for them? Because if not, it doesn't matter. Well, all that matters is if they get television ratings and if people care about it to a, a small amount, of, uh, a certain extent to where it's beating other things at that time well, of the Well, if they're going to get television ratings, they need to play the games not on the weekends. It needs to be during the week and it needs to be in prime time on like ABC or CBS or something like that. And the broadcasts need to be not about football, but some sort of side thing. That's the only way they're going to get ratings. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm sure that they've been figuring out, trying to think of ways to figure it out. It's just, you know, here's one thing too that didn't exist in 2001. Social media. Social media buzz is a Social thing. media also can give you the the appearance that something is popular when it really isn't. Like That's like, true. I don't know. That's true. This past weekend in the AAF debut. <laughs> that uh clip about uh, that clip of Mike Bercovici getting his helmet knocked off, getting sacked. I'm pretty sure like I know everyone was saying, Oh, that'd been a that'd have been flagged big time in the NFL, and it probably would have because his helmet flew off. But if you watch that hit, it was it looked clean to me. Like, he didn't lead with his helmet. He hit him, like, in the chest. And Berkovich's helmet came off later. He just didn't have a very tight helmet. I, that that play was getting blown out of proportion, I think. Quite And a bit. I have no idea what you're talking um, about, so. Oh, my God. Okay. All right, well, that does it for this episode. I got nothing else left to talk about. Grant and I will be back next week with more thrilling Oklahoma football talk. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.